whether it's the legendary lionesses, grassroots or expert analysis of the women's leagues, Women's Football News has it all covered. A brand new monthly magazine packed with news, interviews and expert opinion. Don't miss Women's Football News. Pick up a copy today from participating retailers. Women's Football is here to stay and so are we. Hello everyone, Rob Guest from Football.London here and welcome to the latest episode of Gold and Guest Talk Tottenham, sponsored by NordVPN. Joining me for the first time in a month, it's Alistair Gold. Ali, how was your time off? Yeah, it's very nice, thank you. Although I did listen in to the last podcast, all this talk about my 25th holiday of the year, something like that. That's an utter lie. It was only it's my small. 23rd it's small. holiday. No, no, it's 23rd. It was 23rd holiday of the year. And I did think it was a little bit rich coming from a guy that walks around with his passport in his pocket just in case he spots a flight he likes. <laughs> and that was a little bit cheeky. But hey, I'm back. Um, it ended up being a very slight kind of busman's holiday in that I kind of went there and then it was booked, what was it, more about a year ago. And getting there, suddenly realized I'm kind of in Angeland here and I can actually go and see some of the places he's uh, been to and lived and grew up in and everything. And uh, thankfully, my wife was uh, very patient and allowed me to go and do some of those things. And the proviso that she got to go and see uh, Ramsey Street and all that where they uh, film Neighbours. So we did a bit of a deal. Um, and yeah, I've, I've written a feature today. So if anyone wants to go to the football.london webpage, have a little look. I did a feature on all the things I found, the people I spoke to that know Ange. And uh, yeah, it was uh, it was good fun. Good holiday. Um, obviously, I went to Perth on the tour, but getting to see kind of other parts of Australia was very cool and uh, very much kept a kept an eye on what was happening with Spurs. Watched the two matches in the early hours of the morning. Although, as I'm told by the many Australians over there that support Spurs, 5am and 6am is actually quite a nice time to watch Spurs for them. Normally, the afternoon kickoffs mean they have to watch them at like 2, 3 in the morning and horrible times like that. So uh, to start the day with a nice Tottenham Hotspur win was actually quite cool. And then you just went off and enjoyed your day. Um, yeah, it was it was a very different experience kind of watching it from that perspective. But I'm back. And uh, yeah, we can chat about lots of things that have happened uh, in the meantime and another good victory, I felt. Yeah, two wins in the past week, obviously beating Fulham at home last Monday and then getting the better of Crystal Palace 2-1 on Friday night at Selhurst Park. But before we jump into today's show, first of all, I want to share with you a brand new publication from Reach PLC celebrating and covering everything that is women's football it's a monthly magazine of wall-to-wall women's football, including our very own Tottenham women's team, of course. If you want to know more or grab a copy, head over to the episode description box and order yours today. So getting back onto Spurs, 2-1 win at Selhurst Park. Uh, always a tough game in South London. I can remember there was that run of, I think it was from like 2016 to 2018, six consecutive uh, 1-0 games and uh, this one very, very close again. Spurs, you know, struggled in the first half. Got to give credit to Crystal Palace. They made life really, really difficult. And if anyone looked like scoring in the first half, it was the home side. But Guglielmo Vicario making two really good saves. Spurs managing to get over the line in the end, courtesy of a Joel Ward own goal and Son Hyung Min getting another goal to his name. Jordan Ayew, you know, made it a bit of a interesting finale with a, a really well taken goal, but Spurs managed to hang on, claim another three points and the back, you know, summit of uh, the Premier League. They had a five point gap after that win on Friday. It's uh, it's been whittled down since with obviously Liverpool City. And Arsenal getting three points, but Spurs just keep marching on and getting all the points. They are doing so well at the moment. And actually, you mentioning the women's side as well. They're smashing it as well. Yeah. Everything seems to be going right at Spurs. It's very unnerving. Youth teams are smashing it as well. The under-21s, under-18s. Uh, like I say, the women's side and the men's side also absolutely just firing at the moment. I wouldn't say, you know, it was the most free-flowing, exciting um, version of Postacoglu football, but it was a different kind of Postacoglu and Tottenham football that we also want to see, which is the grinding out results against very organised teams that we know what a 
Roy Hodgson team is going to look like. It's going to be very, very well drilled, very organised, allow you very few chances. I think they had only conceded, is it something like three goals at Selhurst Park this season? Yeah, I think that was like right. That. Yeah. Yeah. And Spurs went there and they just had to take what opportunities they, they got and they took them. Um, I mean, the possession stats were like mad. It was a 76% possession, uh, possession to Spurs, which is just... It's just a world away. And I saw the pass of 666 passes from Spurs, um, which is yeah, a bit of a kind of a, a bit of a satanic number, that one. That's a bit, of a, a bit of a strange number to rack up. But Palace only had 147. Um, it's just, it's such a weird way of watching football now. We've been so drilled into us to watch this kind of Spurs just taking what kind of breaks they could get up the pitch in recent years. And now it's the Spurs are just dominating matches. And it's almost like they're going to teams and the home teams are becoming the away sides in a way because Spurs are making it seem like they're meant to be playing at that football ground. And don't get me wrong, they only had one shot on target, Spurs. So like I say, it wasn't the most free-flowing attacking performance in the world. And I still feel that's the part of the team that hasn't clicked fully yet. But with the defence right now, those centre-backs especially um, and a goalkeeper in Guglielmo Vicario that is just it's just phenomenal, his adapt- ad- adaptation to the Premier League. That little trio kind of providing that central core in the defence, they just look like, you know, you're going to have to get a bit of an iffy VAR referee decision to get a goal past them at the moment. And, and so it was the case again at the uh, on Friday night. Yeah, very much so. Uh, as nice as it would be to see, you know, Ange Ball in full flow and the team, you know, scoring four or five goals every game. I think you can take an awful lot of satisfaction out of that win at Crystal Palace because, as you were saying, it, it shows a different side to the uh, game. There's going to be, you know, matches throughout the season where they're going to have to dig in deep and grind out uh, three points. And they the really had to do that at Selhurst Park, as I was saying, you know, Credit to Crystal Palace in the first half. I thought they played really well. Uh, limited Spurs. I think Yves Basuma was pretty much man marked that uh, first half. Yeah. He didn't really get a, a foothold in the game as we've seen him doing uh, since the season started. Uh, but yeah, touch of uh, good fortune with that own goal from Joel Ward. But in terms of the build-up, it was absolutely fantastic with Pedro Porro. Pat Matasar making a fantastic run uh, down the right side, putting it across, and James Madison just put it into a, a dangerous area. And, you know, if there's going to be a touch there, it's more than likely going to go in. And that, that was the case. Yeah, James Madison, it's just, it's just involved in every big moment for Spurs. It's just, it's scary how reliant they are becoming on him. Um, I mean, look, it's one of those where kind of, it's difficult not to read the negative because we're so used to at Spurs being so reliant on certain players. Obviously, it's been Harry Kane for many years, but now it almost feels like it's kind of a touch of maybe Sonny and Madison um, in terms of Sonny's the one scoring the goals, but Madison certainly in every creative moment, it goes through him um, and they don't really have a viable alternative right now. Maybe that's something they need to look at in January. But yeah, Madison again, I wouldn't say it was one of his greatest games so far for Spurs. But yet, you just know in those crucial moments when you need that bit of quality, he's there. Um, and yeah, hitting it across goal like that, it's one of those, it's kind of the cliche defender's nightmare, isn't it? You've kind of got to get your body in the way because you don't know who's behind you. But the likelihood is you're going to divert it into your own net. And that's exactly what he did. Um, and then obviously, Madison heavily involved in the second goal as well. It was... Yeah, it was one of those, I'd say, you, you, of course you could say it's a touch of good fortune because it's an own goal, but I would say that Spurs kind of forced Palace into it. And it was very much, as you say, first half was, they, they were, I'm not going to say they were kind of, yeah, maybe that is the way to say it, that they were kind of kept under wraps by Palace, I think, for much of that first half. And then wasn't there, obviously, again, I was watching on my mobile phone screen across the other side of the world, which is, never going to be the best way to, to watch a football match and, and appreciate everything that was going on. But wasn't there something happening in the tunnel at half, as they were com- coming out for the second half? Yeah, I think I caught uh, a glimpse of it on the screen next to my desk. Uh, after they'd come out of the dressing room, they were just basically gathered at the side of the tunnel. I think they were having a bit of a de- discussion. Uh, Ange Postacoglu would have said his bit at half time. The players then 
quite clearly having their own say, you know, needing to find solutions. Uh, Andrew was asked about it in his post-match press conference and he was basically saying, like, he can't be on the pitch, you know, kicking the ball for him and whatnot. It's down to them when they're on the pitch and finding their own solutions. And they managed to do that in the second half because the one the game first half wasn't great uh, because Palace limited them. I can't really remember many opportunities on goal. I think James Madison had one what he uh, flashed wide. Richarlison had an effort from distance, but there was never anything clear cut. And I mean, that says it all in the stats when he was just one shot on target for Spurs all game. But yeah, uh, quite clearly had a word with each other at halftime, gave a few more instructions how to break Palace down and quite clearly worked to full effect because they came away with all three points. Absolutely. And it's one of those games where I'm not going to (laughs) say what some people would say, but it is a game that the the good teams, they they put in a performance like that. They come away with three points. I'm not going to say what <laughs> kind of teams other people might say would put in a performance like that, but good teams certainly would go to Selhurst Park, a very difficult place to come away with points from um, and score goals, and they did the job. They got the three points, and, I mean, you spoke to Anne straight after the game. He seemed like he was quite pleased with pretty much all of it, all the aspects of the performance, wasn't he? Yeah, very much. I asked him, uh, first question was, what pleased you most about that? And we basically said all of it. Uh, I think it was just really pleased that they came away uh, with the three points and that they found a way to win because as he was saying, it's such a difficult place to come. You know, you're going to be limited. You're not maybe going to have as many shots on target as in previous games. And the fact that Palace had actually come into the game off the back of a 4 0 defeat at Newcastle. So straight away, you know, Palace are going to be, you know, shutting up shop and trying to make life incredibly difficult and making sure they bounce back from that defeat and get points on the board. And yeah, I just think you can take a lot of satisfaction uh, from the win because Spurs just showed another side of their game. And, you know, I think a lot of people probably expected them to drop away from the summit of uh, the league table but they've not so far. They're just showing different strengths every week and finding different ways uh, to win games. And yeah, he, I think he was just so, so pleased with the win. Yeah, that was really impressive. I mean, it was a gritty win. I mean, I looked at some of the other stats, like Spurs made 23 clearances on the day to Palace's 11, which shows the defending. And Vicario had to make a couple of really good saves. Sam Johnson didn't actually make any saves. It's just such a weird game. You know, they won 2-1, yet only had one shot on target and uh, and the goalkeeper didn't have to make a save. I mean, yeah, technically he could have saved both of the goals, <laughs> but, you know, it, it's funny. And even corners. Spurs only had two. Palace had 11. Um, and, yeah, Palace had 13 shots to Spurs, 10. It was, um, yeah, strange game, but one. it's one of those where you can't say it was a smash and grab despite the fact they only had one shot on target. It's really weird. You kind of feel like you should be saying it is, but it wasn't. You can't be a smash and grab with 76% possession. It doesn't really work like that. Um, But there were so many little individual performances that I thought were really impressive. Um, I mean, there's one I have to start with. I know um, Mickey van der Ven got man of the match, and he was brilliant, and we're going to talk about him. But Pat Matasar, I mean... I, again, watching on a tiny screen, I really do appreciate how much more you see when you're at a stadium. When you have to watch it on a little screen or even on a telly, you just see so much else going on when you're actually at the match. Tell me what it was like to witness Pat Matazar play like that at Selhurst Park. Fantastic. I mean, he's produced a number of really good performances so far this season. I think the one that for me sticks out in my mind was the Manchester United game where he, he scored the goal. Uh, yeah. But I thought he's showing that Crystal Palace was certainly up there as one of his best uh, this season. He was just a mobile presence in the midfield for Spurs, constantly looking to get on the ball, uh, go forward with it. And he was pivotal in both of the goals on on the night. Uh, first one, as I was saying, made a really good run down the right flank. That was after playing a couple of passes with Pedro Porra and then he put it across. But... The second goal, I know Brendan Johnson and James Madison are going to get a lot of credit for their role in that. But that ball from Papsar uh, across to Brendan Johnson was absolutely fantastic. 
Uh, and that all came from Spurs playing out from the back, uh, just keeping possession of it. And yeah, I just thought he's, it was just one of those performances where he was absolutely superb, just bundles of energy, uh, really, really good showing from him. And I think he was probably a timely performance as well because Rodrigo Bentancur made his long-awaited return. And I think a lot of people were probably expecting, well, as soon as Bentancur comes back, Sar's the one who drops out. But I think he showed on Friday night that that's not a straightforward decision at all uh, for Ange Postacoglu to make. I think, obviously, over the coming weeks, Bentancur needs to uh, work his way back to full fitness and it'll just be a case of giving him minutes here and there. But... Sam more than made his case to be uh, part of the midfield three. Uh, you know, over the uh, coming weeks and months, he was sensational. He's just 21. Yeah. That's just what I find so ridiculous about him as well. And I do wonder, I mean, I'll ask you this. If he was playing for, I don't know, a, a City, Arsenal, um, even maybe Man U, just one of these clubs that maybe are slightly more heralded than Spurs are right now, or even let's say a Brighton because of the talent they produce. Do you think everyone would be raving about him? I kind of feel like they would. He's almost gone under the radar at Spurs. Yeah, I think with Spurs this season, it's, you know, James Madison, Son, Mickey van der Ven, Christian Romero, uh, Guglielmo Vicario. They're like the players with the naming lights this season because they've been sensational, but it's not just them. There's a number of players at Tottenham who've been, you know, performing on a consistent basis, week in, week out, producing really, really good displays. And yeah, I think if Sal was at Man City or Liverpool, you'd be hearing a lot about him. But I think if he was at Brighton, if he was producing the performances he is for Tottenham at the moment, then come next summer, there'd be talk of him moving to a City or a Liverpool for, you know, 70 million plus or whatever. How much was Caicedo in the end? Was he over 100 million? Yeah, it was 100, wasn't it, in the end? Yeah, so... You know, if Sal was at Brighton, then I think there'd be talk about a, a substantial transfer fee. But that, I think it's a good thing for Spurs, you know, if he's going under the radar. You know, yeah. You, yeah. yeah. No, you're right. You're absolutely right. It's just, just, it just struck me that I just don't think people outside Spurs realise how good he is. I think he's well respected on on the continent. I think, you know, that was one of it was seen as a real coup that Spurs managed to get him in the first place from Mets. But it's almost like now, everyone, like you say, I think that's what it is. They're, they're drawn to the names and they're ignoring the fact this 21-year-old is running games at times from the midfield. I mean, he had more touches than any other midfielder on the pitch um, on Friday. 92 touches, 75 passes with an 89.3 pass success rate, which for me, especially with Saar, he's quite progressive in his play. Whereas someone like Basuma, who he does try to be progressive as well, but what I would say is a lot of his passes are probably in the earlier stages of building an attack. You know, just the quick, short, sharp passes around between the defence and him and everything. Whereas with Saar, I do feel that he really tries to drive on, and, and as, as we saw with both goals, you know, both his involvements in those were, were trying to progressively play the ball through, through to almost to have 90% pass success rate is very impressive. And he also had one dribble, two interceptions, two clearances and one block. Um, I just think he's such a good player. And I mean, I heard, didn't he say after the Fulham game that he was playing, he was ill. And he was playing in that game. He'd, he'd asked to still play even though he was ill. Hopefully he hasn't spread whatever it was to the rest of the squad. But yeah, I just, oh, he's just such a good player. And your point about Benson Kerr coming back is absolutely spot on. I think all of them, myself included, everyone just kind of assumed it was going to be a Benton, Kerbasuma, Madison trio. But Sars made that really a tough choice. And I think, in a way, it helps Benton, Kerr. We talk about kind of Sar going under the radar because of the lack of glare on him right now and publicity. I think for Benton, Kerr, there's no need to rush him back. There's no need to throw him in that team because it's a midfield that's playing very well and Sars playing very well. So there's no reason right now to try and push him before he's ready. Um, and, you know, it actually also kind of raises the possibility of, is it Saar who's under threat? Does, let's say, Basuma start to become under threat? Because we know 
Benton Kerr, if needed, could play that role sitting in front of the uh, the back line. We know the way he can turn with the ball and dribble with the ball and get past players. He could do the Basuma role. So I think it's really good that it actually re-energizes Basuma in terms of competition as well. Um, and I like that. I think probably, like I say, Madison is the one who at the moment can afford to have an iffy game or two because it's maybe not as much competition for him. Although... The way Benton Kerr was playing last season with his ability to kind of create and score goals and be a real game changer, you know, who knows? There might be games when maybe Madison is allowed to sit out. Um, but Saar, going back to Saar, I just, I'm just growing more and more impressed with him with every game. Um, he's just found the perfect kind of mentor type in Postacoglu. Postacoglu just loves it. We could tell that in preseason when we were on the tour. He just was talking about him with such kind of affection, Postacoglu, that you knew he was going to do great things with him. Um, and I'm just intrigued to see what kind of midfielder he turns out to be. Is he going to be box-to-box? Is he going to end up being more defensive? Is he going to be someone that adds goals to his game like the one against Man U? I just don't know which way he's going to go. But whatever happens... If he continues on this path, he's going to be one hell of a player. Yes, he is. I think someone else who deserves a lot of praise uh, from the game, Brennan Johnson, when he came on, I think he was 64th minute, replaced Richarlison. Two minutes later, got an assist to his name. I mean, we've we've not really seen a lot of uh, Johnson since his move from Forest. It's been unfortunate, really, because it's just been such a stop-start uh, start to his Tottenham career with the injury and then the international breaks coming when they did as well because I think literally it was an international break day after he signed from Forest. Uh, so I think he got about nine or ten minutes previous game against Fulham, a uh, bit longer this time. And yeah, he certainly more than made his case uh, to Poster Cogley with his showing. I think he created two chances, obviously one of those for Son's goal, a lot has been said about his assist, but I think you've got to praise that header as well because that's a really, really good header into James Madison's path from him. And then the link-up play uh, with Madison, you know, and Johnson just put the ball on the plate for Son to score. And I think now with, you know, a really good week on the training pitch, he can uh, certainly put himself into contention for a, a start in the Tottenham team. I know Andrew was saying in his pre-match press conference that in terms of Spurs improving, they still need to improve in all aspects. He basically praised the defensive aspect, but he was saying that in terms for him, the biggest growth with this Tottenham team is going to be in those attacking areas. And while you know Spurs' front three has clicked this season, I think it's 22 goals in the league, there's still another couple of gears for those uh, front three players to go through. And I think having Johnson in there, I think he'll probably flow a bit better with the movement and just what he brings to the team. So I'd unleash him against Chelsea, to be honest. Uh, whether or not that happens, we'll have to wait and see, but it'll be one of Richarlison or Dan Kuliseski who misses out. But I think Johnson, you know, putting a really, really good showing against Palace and you know, I won't bet against him starting against Chelsea. Are you saying Richardson has to be dropped? Is that your message? Well, I think he's probably the likely fall guy out of the two of them. I still think Kulisewski needs to do more. Uh, that he just needs to be a bit more selfish at times, a bit more ruthless, a bit more clinical. Uh, I know Richardson. I think he did okay against Palace. He was linking up well with James Madison at times, set him up for a chance, uh, a couple of good first-time balls. But it's just uh, it's a couple of like loose touches at times, what just stops it moving. And I think that's what he's remembered for. Uh, but I think that if you put Johnson in there, I think it will flow better. So maybe it is Richarlison. But he has you know, made a big, big impact in recent weeks with that one goal and three uh, assist so it's a tough tough decision to make the answer is yes isn't it <laughs> after all that admit it you, you probably would I think it will be him but I still think Kulisewski needs to offer more because absolutely uh, I don't think his place in the team is guaranteed 
Obviously, I know, I think he's, what, two goals this season, no assists. I mean, you can look at stats all you want, but he offers so much more than the, those goals and assists with his general play and his strength and his use of the ball. So, yeah, I mean, it, it's a good option to bring in whoever, but I think if anyone, it might be Richarlison who drops out. I just find Richarlison so strange at times to watch. In moments, he can be your archetypal Brazilian skill for everything with the ball. And the next moment, it can look more like he's from Bogner than Brazil. It's like, it's just a ball. I mean, I'm sure there may be very good footballers that have come from Bogner, but it just, sometimes the ball just bounces off of him. And I just, it's such a inconsistent technique he's got. At times he looks a 60 million pound player. And at other times, you know, he looks like you probably wouldn't pay six grand for him. It's just, he can be so influential and then other parts of the game be completely, you know, uninfluential. <laughs> Search for the right <laughs> word there. It went out of my head. Um, yeah, I, I just find him kind of frustrating in that aspect as well. And I think, you know, anyone that's listening to this podcast knows how excited I am about Brendan Johnson and the potential he's got to play for Tottenham. I just go back to that disallowed goal on his debut which for me showed you everything that he could bring to this Spurs attack. The pace, the control, the finish. I think James Madison will love providing the passes to Brendan Johnson. I think he knows that the way he will uh, run, the movement he'll have. And you saw it. You saw it against Palace. The clever header, but not only that, but the speed with which he suddenly swept past Madison. And Madison just waited to that perfect moment to play into his path. It was one of the best goals I think Spurs have scored this season. It was a really lovely flowing move. And then not only that, but Madison, uh, sorry, uh, Johnson being able to then pull the ball across in the perfect place for Son to score. I don't know how fit he'll be when the Chelsea game comes around. You do think maybe, what, eight, nine days between games? Possibly it could be enough for him to be in a position to start. I mean, he was in a position to start the Arsenal game before his injury. So it depends on how much work he's done over the last couple of weeks since he got fit again, um, you know, got got over the hamstring issue. Um, but personally, yes, I think he would complement that. I think that front three for me of Johnson, Son and Kuduseski could be the the most interesting one in the way that they've all got different skill sets and the way they'll work together. I agree with you on Kuduseski. I do think he needs to add goals and assists back into his game. I think they've dropped out after that lightning start to life at Spurs. I do think he offers more off the ball than maybe Richarlison does in terms of the running the ability as an outlet when Spurs are under a little bit of pressure, they know they can play it out to him and he was probably going to dribble up half the pitch with the ball. Um, I, I think there's maybe a slight confidence issue with him in the final third at the moment. There's moments when you see him not quite kind of wind up for a shot. Instead, he plays it off to someone else. Um, and if he can kind of find his groove again, I think that could be a very exciting front three. And yeah, it's it's one I still think needs additions to it in January. Um, or if not the summer, I think obviously losing Perisic was a an absolute pain in the backside or pain in the ACL. Um, because I do think he offered another little extra kind of thing with his delivery. Could be an opportunity for Brian Hill in the weeks ahead. Um, but yeah, I just still feel like they need one more body up there, someone a little bit different. You got Valise. Who knows? Valise might get a chance and take it. But uh, Brennan Johnson, I thought this was another exciting little cameo. Um, and I agree with you. If he's fit enough, I would start him against Chelsea because I think in a home game with the crowd behind them, he's the kind of player that I think would excite the fans. And I just get the feeling that Postacoglu really likes him as well. And I think in an ideal kind of fitness scenario, he would probably be starting the game. Yeah. Right. Uh, there's plenty more to discuss about Palace, but uh, before that, Ali, do you want to let everyone know about the benefits of using NordVPN? Yeah, I feel like I haven't done this in a while, but I do <laughs> need to remind people that the Golden Guest Talk Tottenham podcast is sponsored by NordVPN and you can use their service in a host of different ways to enhance your internet experience. NordVPN is the fastest VPN in the world, and that means there's no buffering, no lagging, and you can stream your favorite shows from anywhere in the world without your bandwidth throttling. Who knows? You may be across the world. You may be in Australia and need to watch something that you wouldn't normally be able to watch. Um, and the beauty of NordVPN is that you're able to switch your device to thinking it's in a completely different country, whether that be your own home country. 
and you're able to um, watch things and watch TV shows, watch sporting events, films, whatever you may want to watch that otherwise pesky, silly international restrictions might stop you from doing, even though you've paid for that service. Um, and it's not only that, but the outlay on a NordVPN subscription is cheaper for you in the long run. That's because you can purchase streaming services or bookings from other countries at a much cheaper rate. So, for example, you might want to book a flight, but thinking you're making your device think it's in a different country. So that might end up making you have cheaper flights because they'll be from that country. So it means you're paying out for Nord, but you're actually saving money overall. There's a whole host of other benefits, including internet security. It really helps lock up your devices to a certain degree when you're using public Wi-Fi and things like that. Um, so, yeah. You know, if you sign up to uh, NordVPN, you can grab your exclusive deal by going to nordvpn.com forward slash gold guest to get a huge discount off your NordVPN plan plus four additional months for free. It's completely risk free with Nord's 30 day money back guarantee. Let's move to the other end of the pitch now. And Mickey van der Ven, what a player, what a signing. He's just, you know, come on leaps and bounds is uh, fantastic. He's just week in, week out, you just know what you're going to get from him. He's just an incredible player and then Tottenham are uh, really, really lucky to have someone of his quality at the back and he's just forming this incredible partnership with Christian Romero. Uh, still think there's so much more to come from Van der Ven as well. He's only, what, 10, 11 games into his Tottenham career and then showing against Crystal Palace was uh, certainly up there with one of his best since he signed from Wolfsburg in the summer. It was needed early on when uh, Will Hughes uh, went through the uh, Tottenham team with ease, really. He just looked like he had acres of space to run towards Guillermo Vicario. Van der Ven used that pace, came out of nowhere and uh, won the ball. That was the one what did lead to Jordan Ayew having the shot and goal, what Vicario saved. But Van der Ven just contributing with you know headers blocks tackles everything uh, you just as a striker you just wouldn't want to come up against him because such a powerful defender and yeah he's certainly one of the signings of the summer in terms of the Premier League not just Tottenham absolutely I mean you look back and he was kind of the seen as the cheaper alternative to tap sober wasn't he yeah. and you wouldn't swap him for anyone now I mean obviously it'd be lovely if they got tap sober as well but um, at the time, but Van der Ven is just, he's just a ridiculous player. And, you know, some of the, I remember some of the daft criticism in his first couple of games as well. People like Tim Sherwood saying he was wooden and all this sort of stuff. It's just like, I honestly think he's he's up there with one of the best Premier League defenders right now. He, he really is the performances he's putting in. Um, like you say, it's early days. He's only young as he's still 22, isn't he? Yeah, I think so, yeah. Scary, absolutely scary how quickly he's adapted. I do think it's another kind of pointer towards maybe Bundesliga players being able to adapt to the Premier League that little bit better because it's a, a similar product in terms of the pace and the strength that's required. Um, and also, you know, massive kind of props to Postacoglu as well in, in seeing a player that he knew would fit into his system so well. Um, and yeah, the yin and yang kind of element with him and Romero, it's just such a lovely blend of someone that is is so much about aggression and front foot defending and someone else who's completely calm and will only slide into a tackle at the last resort if it's necessary. A little bit like Ledley King used to be. Um, whereas Romero, you know, his first thought is, I'm going to wipe you out <laughs> and I'm going to take the ball with me, hopefully. Um, and just combined, I mean, their passing stats were ridiculous ridiculous against Palace. I mean, Romero made 151 passes, which apparently is a record for Spurs for a player in the Premier League. Uh, Van der Ven had 97. So it's just incredible. And you think about that. So their total was more than Palace's entire total of passes across their whole team. Yeah, I think yeah, Van der Ven, in terms of his passing, he only misplaced one pass Yeah, in the game. 99% yeah. success rate. Yeah. Very it's incredible. Impressive. And even Romero's from 151 was 93.4. Um, they're just phenomenal. Absolutely phenomenal. And for context, Anderson and, and Gay at the other end made 33 and 27 passes. I was going to say, like, Romero's, quite a few of his, certainly towards the end of the game, were just 
back and forwards to Vicario. Palace they fans. They were winding up the crowd, yeah, weren't yeah. they? But it's like, then, why weren't any Palace players even pressing or going, you know, to try and win the ball? You think that was the instruction? I got the impression that that was Hodgson's instruction, which obviously made li- less sense towards the end of the game. But I think the idea was if we commit players up there, we know that Spurs right now are able to pass around us. And then yeah. suddenly we have two, let's say, less players, fewer, sorry, two fewer players able to um, get back and defend. And I think they were just so scared, having seen recent games, how Spurs can beat the press and suddenly have loads of space behind. But yeah, that moment, I was watching that. I was kind of, I was watching the game just lying in bed in the darkness. It's like 6am <laughs> or whatever it was. And I was just cracking up because they were just absolutely taking the mickey at that point. And I don't mean the Van de Ven. <laughs> they were absolutely just kind of passing it between them. And you think, come on, you're going to pass it on now. And it's like, no, they're passing it back again. And the crowd was like, get really wound up. Um, and that was the other good thing about the crowd. You could, obviously I'm on the other side of the world I was, but you could only hear the Spurs fans sound like, the Palace fan just grew utterly frustrated. I guess that's what happens, I suppose, when you're seeing your team have, what was it, 24% of the possession at home. Um, but back to Van der Ven. Brilliant player. His pace just, I mean, his pace helped out Ben Davies a lot in that first half. Ben Davies had a real struggle coming in for uh, Destiny Doggy. And yeah, it wasn't the best display for him. Um, I think we'll give him right now the benefit of the doubt in terms of he hasn't had many minutes. And he's come in there and had to kind of do a job against a team that, like we say, were quite solid at the back as well. So he wasn't able to show the um, the attacking intent that maybe he'd want. And also, I don't think he fits the ability to play as a number 10, which the other fullbacks are finding that a little bit easier, the adaptation. I don't think for Ben Davies, that's really in his wheelhouse as much. Uh, but certainly had issues with IU as well. And that was where Van der Ven really came in to help him out on a number of occasions. But uh, yeah, Van der Ven, Romero and Vicario, that trio. I think we said right after the first game at Brentford when people were kind of a little bit concerned maybe, I think we said back then like that's their first game together. Van der Ven had barely had a couple of training sessions, like one training session or something. And Vicario doesn't know what Romero and Van der Ven as a partnership in front of him is going to be like when he has to come out, when he has to stay. I think you're now seeing the kind of the fruits being born of just a team that knows where each other are and then defensive work um, as well by Matty Wells working with them, when to move, when not to move, when to pass, when to dribble. Um, and yeah, with young players like that who are clearly so intelligent in soaking up every bit of information they're getting, it's just really exciting. They're going to have some iffy days. There's going to have moments when they're going to get caught in possession but right now, it's giving them all the confidence in the world. That's the beauty of, I think Andrew said it himself, didn't he, that these results are accelerating their process because they're, they're getting the confidence in what they're doing. And that means the buy-in's even bigger and quicker. And we're seeing that on the pitch and, and they're, they're top of the table. Tottenham Hotspur are top of the table. <laughs> I have to keep reminding myself of that fact because they were top when I went away and they're top when I came back. It's fantastic. Yeah, I was saying after the game to George Sessions from PA, what's really impressive about Tottenham being top is the 1-8 and drawn two of 10 games, not lost. And one of those draws was the first game of the season. It's just like winning is becoming a habit for them. Don't matter yeah, who the they're other coming draw up against. The yeah, it's, it doesn't matter who they're coming up against. They've just There's that confidence flowing in the team that they know they're going to win games week in week out and that's such a great thing to have and certainly going to be needed in the uh, the next few weeks with likes of you know Chelsea Villa Man City coming up but they won't want to face Tottenham all the way they're playing at the moment so yeah just fingers crossed it keeps uh, going like this because I mean it's great to watch and it's just great to see Tottenham at the top of the Premier League table right on as you mentioned Ben Davis. So he came off at halftime. Emerson Royale came on. I think Emerson was maybe a tad unfortunate not to start the game at left-back because he came on against Fulham and they thought he performed well. A couple of really good blocks in the closing yeah. stages. And yeah, I thought he did really, really well when he came on against uh, Palace. Obviously nullified IU to an extent because he was just getting too much joy in the first half down the right wing. Uh Emerson, you know, 
helped out in attack as well. And after the game, I asked Ange about Brendan Johnson's impacts off the bench and basically that's why you wanted to sign him. And he was saying, yeah, really pleased with Brendan, but really, really pleased with the substitutes as well. Uh, I thought Emerson Royale was outstanding. Uh, that's what he said. So maybe if Destiny Doggy's gone to be out at some point again in the future, does Emerson maybe start now instead of Ben Davis? Yeah, no, like you, I kind of thought um, Emerson might get the nod as well because especially if Ben Davis had an injury, didn't he? He missed the Fulham game. So yeah, yeah, yeah what was did. it that was wrong with him? He just got a knock in training. I think it was the day before the Fulham game. Uh, so that was the reason why he wasn't in the squad and Ashley Phillips was in the match they squad against Fulham. But obviously uh, recovered in sufficient time and was named in the team against Palace. Yeah, I mean, that may well have played its part as well where he wasn't quite fully at his game. But I thought Emerson came on and did really well. Uh, again, he's another one that maybe is more comfortable playing further up the pitch and inside if need be, um, as the inverted fullbacks kind of do. Um, yeah, I would think that if a doggy does miss another game, there was some confusion over a doggy, wasn't there? Because of the way I listened back to that interview as well. And very much sounds like Postacoglu said tiredness, but you think it's tightness, don't you? With a doggy and the muscle. Yeah, basically. Uh Listen back to Andrew's interview on Spurs play after the Fulham game and he explained why obviously Saren, a doggy, came off and 99.9% sure he said tiredness. And I agree. I listened to it as well. Yeah, I yeah. think it does. Then I had a word on Friday and apparently it's tightness now. But yeah. I'm Australian accent. Yeah. Uh, but I think it's probably just a case of if there's a question mark over a doggy, just don't play him. You've got players, you've got a 25 band squad at the end of the day. Yeah. You can afford to him to be out for one game. You don't want to be playing him, aggregate the issue even further, and then he's out for an extended spell on the sidelines. So, yeah, I think he'll have had sufficient rest, especially like 10 days between the Palace and Chelsea game. You'd assume he's going to be in a position to play against Chelsea. Well, yeah, it'll be two weeks, won't it, since yeah. the Fulham match. So, yeah. Yeah, you'd hope so. And I do think Spurs, even with Emerson playing very well, I still think they miss a bit of the thrust, the natural kind of balance that Udogi brings to that left-hand side um, and the ability to get to the touchline and cut it back as well. So, yeah, hopefully he's fit. But Emerson, yeah, I, I think he's probably, with that last couple of uh, cameos from the bench, has probably edged ahead of Davies um, in that role as well. Um yeah, that no, was good. It was a good performance from him. And it, it does. It shows you that everyone's willing to come off the bench and try and make an impact and try to impress. And and they know they'll get minutes. And same for Hoybier as well. I thought he came on and did very well. Yeah, he came on after about, what, an hour or so uh, for Yves Basuma. I thought he was unfortunate not to be named in uh, the team against Palace because I thought it was really, really impressive against Fulham uh, in the previous game. But came on no complaints just did his job just shows those leadership qualities the experience as well and that he was involved in some good play I think he was involved in the second goal wasn't he then he it was the one who passed it to Porro who then passed it to Saar who played it across to Johnson and I think he was involved in another bit of play uh, when Saar tried to you know pick Sonny out with a low pass but he was caught out so yeah he uh <laughs> He's been very good, Hoibjeg. Uh I think he's another who's gone under the radar this season because, you know, he's maybe not been in the spotlight because he's not been starting games. But when he's come on, he's helped Tottenham get over the line. Look at the Bournemouth game, Liverpool, Manchester United. A number of games this season when he's come on and made an impact. Yes, he's probably not the amount of minutes he wants to be playing. He wants to be playing every single minute, every single game. But he's still got a big, big part to play in Ange Postacoglu's Tottenham team. And so far, it has been off the bench. But as you said a couple of weeks ago on the podcast, the start of the season, you'll have a team. And then come the end of the season, someone, you know, who maybe was on the fringes of the team in early in the season becomes a regular starter. So maybe he does work his way back into the 11 uh, over the coming weeks. But yeah, I've been really, really impressed with uh, Hoibjerg recently. 
I mean, we've said this before, but I think the idea was that probably, and I'm sure he probably, unless they're really still flying at that point, would want to move on in January for regular football. But I just don't think you can let him go. With Basuma and Saar heading off to the Africa Cup of Nations, I, I don't think you can afford to let Hoybier go. I think he's he's shown his worth once again. I always feel like he's one that play, people are just so quick to criticise um, because, yeah, he has some little kind of daft things about his game. You know, he likes to complain on the pitch. Sometimes he doesn't track back because he's so busy complaining. He likes to throw his arms up in the air and sometimes he maybe kind of gives the impression he's not doing as much as he actually is when he is a real workhorse of a player. Um, and I do feel like if you let him go, you're kind of losing a big, like a big weapon in your armory almost really, a player that has that experience and now to see out certain matches and to to play against certain types of opposition as well. Um, I think that's probably the area of Spurs' squad where thankfully they are the strongest and if, you know, Saran, we expect Saran Basuma to go off, you know, barring any injuries uh, ahead of the, the tournament, but there's enough in that midfield left to probably still cover their absence. Um, and and Hoybier, I think, is could play a big role still this season as it goes on. I think with Hoybier as well, from his perspective, why would you want to leave Tottenham in January if, you know, the current form carries on and they come into the new year in a really good position? Because, you know, if they carry on the way they're going, they could be in the mix for a decent finish come the end of the season. And let's be honest, I think Denmark, I'm not sure if they've qualified yet, but I'm pretty much sure they will be playing at the Euros next summer. And then even if he's playing maybe a bit part role at Tottenham, he'll still be guaranteed if he's placing the Denmark team. I think, I don't think it's one of these where he desperately needs to move on to ensure he's playing for Denmark in the summer. I think he will be in the team regardless. So if I was in his position, I'd just stay at the moment until the end of the season. Yeah, I guess it depends on the the size of the club coming in. If it is an athletic country, if they're able to get the funds to do that. Um, And maybe also his contract situation plays a part, whether Spurs decide maybe we're not going to give him another new contract and he's, you know, what is he in his last 18 months, I yep. think, of his he deal? And maybe they think if they get a good op- an offer, maybe that Ange thinks he can replace him with a player that's even better suited. It's There's so many different kind of sides to it. But yeah, personally, I think he's got a big role to play still this season. And um, certainly, I think the, the biggest kind of hindrance in a way for some of these players, which is also Spurs' biggest strength this year in a weird way, is the lack of fixtures because there's so much time for the players considered to be the main 11 to recover each week. Um, And there's less chances to impress as well for those in the fringes. But I do think, you know, Hoybier is doing everything he can to to catch people's eyes when he gets in the the minutes on the pitch. So, yeah, long may it continue. I said when Lee was on the podcast in last week or week before, I think there's more value in terms of keeping Hoybier regardless of his contract situation, because, yeah, you might be able to make a bit more money in January compared to the summer. But if Hybeg stays and helps Spurs finish, what, second, third maybe, that's going to bring in so much more money in terms of revenue and that with the money you'll get from the Champions League qualification and that. So for me, it's a no-brainer. Just keep him. Right, uh, Ali, I know you've got another quick ad for us, haven't you? I do. Another ad. I mean, it doesn't get more exciting at Tottenham Hotspur this season. And the best way to soak up all the atmosphere is inside premium hospitality. Guaranteed seats to all home matches, indulge in unforgettable dining experiences at Spurs world-class stadium and enjoy exclusive member-only events outside match days too. Premium at Tottenham Hotspur, it's unmatched. Visit tottenhamhotspur.com forward slash premium to find out more. Right. Uh, one of the major positives on Friday night was the return of Rodrigo Bentancur. I think maybe a bit of a surprise that he was in the match day squad. As uh, the previous week for Fulham, Andrew said in his pre-match press conference that he wasn't in the position to be involved just yet, but really, really big boost. I mean, that had been great for Bentancur when, you know, obviously Andrew told him the news that he was in the match day squad and 
the fact that he, he came on 89th minute, got about 10 minutes in the end because that stoppage time just yeah. seemed to go on forever and ever. Uh, really, really good moment for Bentica and those post-match celebrations in front of the away end. I think that's something he'll certainly always remember. Yeah, Sonny said afterwards he was quite emotional yeah. when he kind of saw him um, at the end. And also, I thought, when I, I mean, first off, I should say, because I woke up pretty much spot on 6am to watch the game, I didn't even know like what the team was, who was on the bench. And so when I managed to kind of start watching it, and I looked, I was like, wait a minute, it looks like Benton Curry among the Suns. I was like, oh, that's so awesome. And it, it did actually kind of make me not quite emotional in that respect, but it did give me this kind of really warm glow. Is that, oh, that's so fantastic that he's like already back there. Eight months out as well. What a moment for him. And I thought the moment he came on, I thought it was really fitting that it was Kulusevsky that came off for him. And it's probably the first time I've ever seen a sub or a player coming off looking utterly delighted to come off. He had the biggest grin on his face because, you know, it was this is his former Juventus teammate, someone he knows inside out. And he was able to just kind of be the guy that slapped hands with him. He comes on, ends eight months of what was probably hell for him as well. Um, and then he came on and he got the ball like really quickly, didn't he? There was like a short free kick. It was knocked to him. So he instantly got a touch of the ball to acclimatize himself. And yeah, those scenes at the final whistle. Basuma chucking him forward in front of the uh, away end. And also, as soon as that had happened and he got his little kind of moment, all of the Spurs players just gathered, like bundled him almost, which is like, oh, don't injure him kind of thing. But they all like gathered around him, like patting him on the head, hugging him. And I think they just appreciated how much he's gone through, how important he is. And Sonny was saying stuff that people don't see these sort of things. But apparently when Sonny was out injured, it was Benton Cole behind the scenes in the physio room really pushing him on and really making sure that he was in a, a kind of the right mental place to to get himself back into action and fit again. Obviously, Sonny had a, a difficult year last season, but he had someone in Benton Cole that even off the scenes was proving to be a bit of a leader himself. So it's very exciting to see him back. Um, you know, obviously, we're all crossing fingers, touching wood, whatever the kind of superstitions we have to, to make sure that he doesn't do anything like that again. It's going to take him a while to get back to anywhere near his best. This is just the early step so far. Um, but what a player. If they can get him back to even anywhere near where he was, as I said earlier, game-changing midfielder for Spurs. And it is such a cliche. But my goodness, it's like a new signing. It really is. It's another massive dose of quality injected into that Tottenham team. And he is a Postacoglu player through and through. He loves to take risks with the ball. He loves to kind of draw players upon him, then to suddenly pass or dribble past them. Um, he loves to get up the pitch and attack. He's going to play football in the Postacoglu way. Um, it's very exciting to see what he does next. And I found it quite interesting, the the post after the game. Did you see he did a post, but did you also see his partner's post? Because she tagged him in it, so I ended up going on his profile. Uh, I saw it. I didn't read it all. I mean, it was like an essay, wasn't it? Really, really. It was, it was a long, long one. Emotional post. Uh, but yeah, there was a number of them after the game. And he himself put one out. I think it was the following day. Just basically, you know, thanking his teammates uh, as well for just being by his side and, you know, doing so well this season. So what did his partner have to say then? As you say, it's a really long post. I'm yeah. going to read it all out. And it was a really lovely post. Uh, you know, 90% of it was really kind of uh, just lovely stuff, supportive stuff, talking about how he, how strong he'd been behind the scenes and everything. But there was one paragraph that was actually a little bit... Someone told me that maybe it's been removed now, this little part of it. Um, but it was up there for a few days, you know, and obviously all of Benton almost 2 million followers could see it. Um and, he, and it said, unfortunately, there weren't always people with the same positivity as you. Unfortunately, the people who needed to push you forward the most often wanted to hold you back with unprofessionalism as well. And though anger often appeared, we knew that when this moment came, you were going to show everything you were prepared for long before. Well, that's really interesting. I don't know who that's referring to. I don't know whether that's people around him, whether that's people at the club, what that was meant to kind of be at. Um, or who that was meant to be aimed at. But yeah, just found that really like, it, it was interesting. It is clearly something that's built up there, a little bit of frustration that, you know, he was almost being held back. But what I would say, 
if I'm going to play devil's advocate there, is especially with a cruciate ligament, you want to be as cautious as possible with one of those. That you know, we've seen so many examples of people re-injuring them, um, and it's 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 horrible. I can't even imagine. First off, how difficult it'd be to be in that situation where you're missing doing the thing you love for eight nine months, but then those who do it again quite quickly. I mean, I've spoken to. I always remember it was difficult. A different thing. It was his knee rather than a cruciate ligament. Terry Dixon used to be an absolute kind of Spurs wonder kid in the making many, many years ago. I spoke to him a couple of years back and did a feature and him telling me about how he he popped his knee um, in a game. He was out for a long, long time and he came back and it was, I think it was in his second game back, he popped the knee again and just that just started this slide for him into all kinds of different things. And so I can't even imagine what it would be like to to do an ACL twice quite quickly. So I would always say you probably would err on the side of caution there and make sure they're a hundred percent and that that ligament is absolutely ready to go again. Um, but I could also understand the passion and the, the emotion of being on the inside of it all and how that affects people. But like I say, the post itself on the whole was just this really lovely kind of almost like a love letter to her partner. I don't know if they're married or not. So I'm, I'm, I don't know where to say husband or not, but just great to see him back. Great to see him back in, the Spurs shirt back on the pitch and you could see he was on the verge of being quite emotional I think towards the end of that game um, and he will now get kind of growing amounts of game time obviously like we said you've got the Hoybier factor as well which is going to mean that he's not going to get lots and lots of minutes quite quickly because Hoybier probably deserves it right now but at some stage Benton Curry is going to be starting matches again for Spurs and I'm fascinated to see just how well he's going to fit into the Postacogby way because I have a an inkling that it's going to be very well indeed. Also great to see Brian Hill back on the pitch yeah. uh, after quite a period of time out because obviously he came back to the club in the summer from his loan at Sevilla and that was his first appearance under Postacoglu. Trained in the opening weeks of pre-season, then needed you know to go under the knife uh, on his injury and he was on the bench at Luton uh, a couple of weeks ago. Uh, so, yeah, really, really good to see him back on the pitch. I think he's someone who can certainly contribute in the final third. I think he's a Postacoglu player, you know, speedy, direct, good on the ball. Didn't half get a whack from Joachim Anderson, though. Literally, a couple of minutes in, into uh, coming onto the pitch, Anderson caught him and... Mickey van der Ven and Christian Romero, I mean, they ran straight out of defence as soon as Anderson got him. So they were sticking up for the teammate and making sure, you know, Anderson got him. the worst bodyguards in the world. No, not at all. No. So, (laughs) yeah, yeah. Really, really good to see uh, Brian Hill back on the pitch. And as you've seen, it's just such a shame there's no cup football for them, whether that's Mm. the Carabao Cup, because I think it's fourth round of the Carabao Cup this week and yeah. no Europe as well so you've got players like Giovanni Celso who needs minutes Brian Hill needs minutes it's just unfortunate but hopefully there will be a bit more game time there for him yeah I think that's going to be the one area that Postacoglu's I mean he kind of makes that this big thing that it's not his job to keep players happy but it kind of is as well um, and I think that's the one aspect that this really tight-knit, harmonious group. And it is. It's the closest I've seen a Spurs group for a long, long time. I saw there were some images or video bits of, looks like maybe they went out to dinner together this week. I don't know if it was old footage or not, but it looks like they went out for a meal somewhere. Um, And I think that's going to be the one aspect for him that as the games and the months go on is going to be difficult is is players like Hoybier and Lo Celso and Brian Hill, and especially when we come to January, they're just not going to be getting starts unless people are injured, especially because of the form of the team. There's one part of you, obviously, that is delighted the team's doing so well, but there's also got to be another part of you that knows that, like Hoybier, he knew that Basuma was going to go straight back into that starting eleven when he was um, came back from his suspension. And that's that's the kind of thing that maybe does still drive you to another club if an offer comes in because you want to play football. That's what all footballers do do and uh, I did one with that about Basuma whether his performance was slightly muted because he didn't want to pick up the yellow card that would keep him out of the Chelsea game because that's now still holding um, hanging over his head isn't it um, you know you, again I was about to say you can't afford to lose him but then 
we've kind of just done the, said the opposite, exactly that, with, with Hoybier coming in and Bentica on his way back as well. So, uh, yeah, nice to see Brian Hill back, though. And uh, I just think there's a, there's a big moment to come from Brian Hill at some point. I think he'll come off the bench in a crucial moment in a game um, and he'll he'll contribute, whether it's an assist or a goal. I think he's yet to have his big moment for Tottenham Hotspur and I think it's to come. Yep. Winner against Chelsea would be nice next Monday. That'd be lovely. It would. That'd be lovely. Right. I think we'll call that a day on today's latest episode of Gold and Guest Tot- Tottenham as the Chelsea game is on Monday. I think we're going to be back on Friday to discuss Ange Postecoglou's pre-match press conference and then just look ahead to the match against Chelsea at Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. So yeah. in the meantime, just keep with us at football.london for all your latest Tottenham news. To grab our huge discount off your NordVPN plan, go to nordvpn.com forward slash gold guest. You can receive an extra four months for free and there's no risk with Nord's 30-day money-back guarantee. The link is in the episode description box. Whether it's the legendary Lionesses, grassroots or expert analysis of the women's leagues, Women's Football News has it all covered. A brand new monthly magazine packed with news, interviews and expert opinion. Don't miss Women's Football News. Pick up a copy today from participating retailers. Women's Football is here to stay. And so are we.